0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that can help your company grow on social media. So if you're feeling stuck on social media and need help with content creation, growth, or funneling through sales, head over to cavesocial.com, book that free consultation, and they will be able to help you out. Awesome. All right. Today, it's a good episode. I mean, point blank. We're talking with the founder of OmniAlert. His name is Ara Bagdasarian. He is serial entrepreneur, builder. But we get into talking about you know building a company in the early 2000s when a lot of people maybe didn't believe in the technology and what he was doing was you know creating text alerts, which in 2020 seems so obvious that you would do. But at the time he was building, he was actually having people shake their head, like, "What do you mean text alerts? That's crazy." So we get into how he deployed that, how his team built that, and actually used it for campus safety so we talk about building that company and we also talk about his new initiatives and what he has going on with zero now really interesting conversation in the education space and also you know looking at being a first mover and adapting to technology a really powerful conversation so sit back and enjoy this one <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, I'm sitting with Ara Bagdasarian. He is the co-founder of Omni Alert. I'm excited to talk about that journey. He's also got a couple other things rained out. He has a, a book, The Lemonade Stand. Ara, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Jordan. Great to be here.
0: Give us the rundown of, you know, your kind of career to date, how you got to where you're at. I know you recently actually just hired a CEO to take over Omni Alert, and then you got something else cooking up. So yeah, give us that walkthrough of uh, your journey to today.
1: No doubt. Well, my journey goes back to Buffalo, New York. And um, I was that kid that was going door-to-door selling stuff and looking for you know ways to earn some money. we used to go door to door and you know you can imagine that raking leaves in the in the in the fall and shoveling dryways in the winter and mowing lawns in the summer and a friend of mine would one afternoon went out and we signed up maybe 15 of our neighbors to, to do this and this is probably about I think 10 12 years old we were really young at the time. And without even understanding what marketing and branding was, we went to the local mall and got painters caps with the word KC on your non, which is Kidco. We said, hey, we'll, we'll call ourselves Kidco and we'll go do this. And we had about 15 customers. I ended up bringing my brothers on to do some of the work, and other kids in the neighborhood started doing that. And you know, my mother thought, you what a crazy kid. You know, what are you doing? By the time I got to middle school, same kind of stuff. I didn't know what business was, what entrepreneurship was. My father gave me a. 600-page SAT prep guide when I first started middle school, rather boring. So I decided to they had the Apple II computer back then to write software for SAT test prep, and I created a few exams, taking the questions, put them on a floppy disk, and sold them at school under the name Arasoft. The point of this is, I kept I was doing entrepreneurial things as a kid, but I had no idea what that was. By the time I got to college, I had no clue what I wanted to do. Uh, changed my major five times. Took every class but computer science or business. I ended up with a psychology degree. And by the time I graduated, this was in the mid-90s, I had three job interviews. Two of them were at pizzerias and one was at a computer distributor. And so I went with a computer distributor uh, job. Now, At the time, there was this new thing called the World Wide Web that was starting to emerge. And I was using email with my .edu address in in college and trying to get other people to come on, this is it. We can communicate. We can coordinate what we're going to do on the weekends with this great new thing called email that we have at our school. But the church I was attending um, was having challenges communicating with its parishioners. I said, hey, listen, there's this thing called the web. I could build a website for you. It's this brand new technology, awesome stuff. And I did. And a family member said, hey, I was thinking about selling some computers online. Could you also help me with that? So I started building some websites, formed a new company called Xnetics in in my parents' uh, ironing closet. And before you knew it, I was offered a position in the late 90s to move to the DC area to start up a web division of a much larger company. This is when the dot-com boom was happening. Turns out, one of my customers was a uh, the Swedish guy who built this two-way texting system for the deaf population. This was before Blackberries, before two-way texting, and that was a very specific use case for that particular population. He and I became friends, and for for a couple of years after that, we we're talking about just uh, different ideas on starting up different businesses. He sold his company. 9/11 happened. My business totally tanked at that point. Web projects ended. And I was looking for homes. And in the DC area homes in Northern Virginia, the homes were selling faster than they could actually list them. And I was frustrated. And you know, my wife would, and I would go look for homes on the weekends, and our realtor would show us the listing of the, the printouts of the homes that were available. And usually 19 out of the 20 homes were already sold or under contract. And as I was texting my friend, because that was still new at the time, I said, Hey, what if we could use text messages as a way to broadcast homes? The moment it comes on the market. We'll send a blast to people that are interested, home buyers and other folks that might be interested, other realtors. And said, okay, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I pitch it to probably 30 to 50 realtors locally and, and outside the area. And before we did anything, so this is like pre MVP concept, we had a mock up website, a one page brochure for HomeSync. And went out to different realtors and were, were sharing this concept with them. Hey, would you like to pre-market your home on, via text messages? The moment a home is available, sell the house faster, get the highest price because you're in, generating demand instantly. And not one realtor liked the idea. In the fact, they thought it was, one person said it was um, against the ethics of the code of realtors because if I'm going to list your house, I better make sure it's on cable TV and in, in the home guide books that are printed and open houses. So that was just a, a brick wall. I was doing some research online at the time, and I came across this, across this article in Pe- it was an archive from People Magazine. It was about a, a female student. Her name was Jean Cleary, and she was brutally raped and murdered in her dorm room back in 1986. And there was a serial rapist on campus, and she was unaware of the situation. The outcome was horrific and tragic. And as you can imagine, her parents were upset and they wanted to figure out what can we do to help prevent this from ever happening again to any other student. In their research, they determined had she had been made aware of this rapist on campus, she would have been vigilant. She would have walked with somebody. She would have locked her dorm room door. And consequently, they formed a school safety advocacy group called uh, Clery Center. And in 1990, they passed this law called the Clery Act, which requires campuses to notify the student population of a preventable crime, such as one that happened to their daughter. And at that moment, it, it just occurred to me, we're talking about doing text message blasts. to For real estate, that is total BS. This is a real problem that is yet to be solved. What if we could use text messages to send out a blast to every student on campus, on campus, off campus? Because back then, this was 2002, 2003, the only people that even knew what a text message was were students, you know, eighteen to twenty-four year olds, adults, you know, it's still a phone is still a telephone for making phone calls. I called up, I, I called up her family, spoke to their executive director, said, "Hey, listen, here's an idea. This is just a concept right now, but if we had the ability to send a text message to every single student the instant a crime has been determined or there's a, an emergency on campus, w- would this help your mission and uh, aid campus safety?" And absolutely, I mean, she th- thought it made absolute sense called my partner and say, listen, let's forget this real estate stuff. This is, this is a much bigger problem. And both of our fathers were in law enforcement. His father was a police officer in Sweden. My father worked for the federal law enforcement at the US-Canadian border. This aligns with our values and what we grew up with. So let's focus on that. Took it to our first, we did not build anything. We, we created a, a mock website, a mock UI. This was before the whole lean startup approach of MVP. We just called it a prototype. And went out to our first community college and shared the concept with them and shared the mocks with them. Like, this is the interface. This is how it works. You type in your message, you click send, bam, thousands of people get the alerts immediately. And thankfully, our first prospect got it. And that was the September 2004 is when the, um, our E2 campus emergency notification system went live. It was the first to market. And you know, fast forward you know, years, about 2,500 organizations use the technology today. Wow, that was very long-winded. Sorry about that.
0: No, no, it, it's it, it's good. It's a it's context, right? And a couple of things that I take from that story is like the not the accidental entrepreneur that a lot of us have, but it's like you always kind of you had that, right? And then. Staying on the prescribed road of like, college, okay, I guess I should, I did the same thing. Like, I guess I should get a degree while I'm here. Don't use my political science degree at all, but, (laughs) you know. That's my first major. Yeah. (laughs) But then just seeing problems and then having those continual aha moments that say, oh, we could solve that problem. And then I love the second part of that, which is in today's day and age is called pivoting. I'm sure back then people weren't saying, hey, we're pivoting <laughs> as much. To say to take this, you know, predicted use case with real estate and then go have that aha moment elsewhere to say, oh, this is where this really fits. And as a overall goal, we can make a real impact. This is going to impact more than just dollars. It's going to impact lives and just feel the magnitude of that i'm sure that came over you that was like okay i can lean into this mission and almost like that you know finding the calling so to speak to be like okay this is where i'm going to put the blood sweat and tears to build this company and go from one to 2500 organizations so uh, very very cool how long has OmniLert been around now
1: so we've been this is our 16th year in uh, in business and interesting enough so so part two of that story so it was it was difficult Jordan. So in 2004, we signed our first school. By the end of the year, we had two colleges signed up for the service. 2005 and 2006, it was very slow because it was such a new concept. Most adults could not fathom, why would anybody use their cell phone for anything but making phone calls? They couldn't understand the purpose of a text message or the, the value that, that it would bring. And it was, it was a too new of a technology. We don't know. It's really not been tested and true. And it wasn't until 2000, early 2006, Penn State uh, discovered our technology and they adopted it. They called it PSU text and it made national news. It was on in USA Today, Penn State using this new texting system to communicate with students, breakthrough stuff. That was our first little tipping point because every single Friday we had a new school sign up because if Penn State is doing this, it kind of caught on. That was, they were definitely the influencer in the market. Fast forward another probably about eight months April 16th, 2007, the tragedy occurred at Virginia Tech. And so at that point in time, we had about 32 colleges using our, our system. And when the Virginia Tech shooting happened instantly, the, so the Cleary family, the folks that uh, I told you about early on that inspired or their daughter's story inspired uh, this whole idea, they were on the news, the ABC, all, all your nightly news broadcasts were talking about our technology. Why doesn't every college have OmniAlert? E2 campus at the time, why doesn't every college have this? It was incredible to see Wolf Blitzer do a live demonstration on his show, at, you know, primetime, showing our technology. And Once again, front page of the Wall Street Journal, why isn't every college using this? This technology exists. So within 24 hours, our technology was very it was an uncertain, two bleeding edge, forward-facing technology to a must-have, literally overnight. Was, so we went from 300 camp, 30 campuses to over 300 campuses in a matter of months. So it was just continuous stream of what we need the setup. The folks who were talking to you prior; they now needed it same day. And thankfully, we were built to scale, so we were able to put on that many customers on board, them get them launched and live in that condensed period of time.
0: Wow, it's one of those things too, right? Where like timing plus preparation i think is equals luck and i remember just that time cuz i my first year of university was 2006 and mm. up until that point text messaging too had been cost prohibitive because it was charged per text and all of these That's types right. of things yep. that kind of Put that layer of friction to be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. I'll just call. I have X amount of minutes, right? Like if we look at the five years before that, it's like, I have X amount of minutes. To anyone who's listening to this who just graduated college, yes, we had finite amount of minutes on our phones. Uh, <laughs> and, and
1: and text yeah. messages. You had a little X too. amount of text messages per month.
0: and To see... You know, that wave, that really was a wave there from 2006 to 2009, I want to say, of communication, social media, everything just got the transfer of information in general. The doors just blew open on posting things to Facebook. And then, yeah, having. The ability to, to do that, you know, to actually send a mass text message, which is obviously now in hindsight, it's like, oh, you need that. If there's something happening right? in today's world, it's, like, it's, it's non-questionable. And I remember back to you know, the, when Virginia, when that happened, and it was just like, I was on campus that day at my school, and you start to go, whoa, okay, what the hell would you do?
1: It's crazy to think, you know, based on today's standards, because, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, so back in the early days, I actually had people tell me, like, all right, you've had some really crazy ideas, but this has got to be the worst. I mean, why why would text messages. I mean, really for students. And you mentioned Facebook and all that. And so, you know, part of the evolution of, of our technology is we call it multimodality. So being able to, once again, we were first to connect with Facebook and Twitter. When those when those technologies came around, you need to send your notifications to text message, phone calls, social media, digital signage, televisions, alarm systems. I mean, you know, across the board, but always innovating and adding things on. But, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Jordan, the fact that I look at entrepreneurship as it's, it's a mindset. It's not really a, a thing or that it's, it's looking at problems as opportunities and constantly, no matter what age you are. And, and I do believe that through education, there are ways to, to learn that mindset of, of problem solving and embracing problems. When, when people run away from problems, entrepreneurs run towards problems. Like, man, this is an opportunity to innovate. So that is so important. And, and you nailed it before.
0: Oh, yeah. Leaning into it, right? Leaning into that uncertainty, into the problem and saying, and having just enough gall to say, I can, I think I could solve it. Or I think I could make that problem less painful. That transitions nicely to you know the next thing I want to talk about, which is the lemonade stand, right? Which is for the listener. This is Ara's book, uh, "Lemonade Stand: What Every Entrepreneur Should Know to Succeed in Starting in Any Business." I love the title because this just comes to obviously the first thing we think about with hey being an entrepreneur is set up that lemonade stand. So does this book really lean into that? The having those foundations of, and helping people understand, you know, what are those base level, you know, mind mindset adjustments that they need to make if they want to start their own business or that they have to acknowledge in themselves.
1: And the lemonade stand, obviously referencing, because it's all about problems. Like the lemon is the problem and it's about embracing the problem. Because if you had no problems and you have no opportunities to innovate and solve anything and move things forward, but the book was inspired. So my partner, Nick and I, both of us have a combined maybe one semester of business education or or in our so, so we learned everything the hard way. We learned everything. We probably started five or six different business projects before OmniLert. Like SEO before it was called SEO. We were doing some other projects that we found interesting. Back at the time I was the chairman for economic development for the town of Leesburg, Virginia, Northern Virginia. So outside of Dulles. And I would meet with people all the time, like would-be entrepreneurs that have a great idea and their mindset is that I need to write a 500-page business plan and then go take it to the bank and get a million dollars of funding and go get an office and then I could get started. And keep in mind, this is pre-lean startup. This was you know, years ago. This would happen over and over again, and I'm like, man, we need to share our insights with folks that you know that have ideas, but that don't know how to turn that idea into something real and tangible. And so, the, the lemonade stand—it starts off. The first chapter is all about optimism. And to me, optimism—I have a slightly different uh, definition of it. I, I look at the opti part of that, like with clarity, with vision, like optical, and having clarity of what the outcome is, and working your way towards. Towards that outcome, and, and until you have that, you're you're gonna have a challenges along the way. But being optimistic and knowing that there's a better outcome through embracing problems, and so the book outlines our our whole approach, our philosophy. It's not really good, like a here's a checklist of things you need to do, but really just a, a, a more of a mindset shift. And consequently, we had a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Miles Davis and uh, Amy Kelly, they put together. A curriculum based on the lemonade stand, which is really geared towards like high school students, college students, is a, is like a 101 on entrepreneurship. And I truly, I've always been an advocate for entrepreneurship education. And I'm thrilled that so many programs now in colleges and high schools, and even middle schools, are starting to teach entrepreneurship as a mindset. It's a whole problem solving mentality. We've had that schools are using that, you know, around the country. And and um, I actually taught a class at Shenandoah University couple years ago on the lemonade stand curriculum. So I got to see how it works firsthand.
0: Very cool. I think too, it's, it's cool to see that, you know, the mindset changing on that to where I'm sure anyone listening to this probably had somebody in their high school who put soda cans, went and bought their bought soda cans at Costco and just sold them for, you know, for a higher market. And uh, some people got in trouble for things like that in school. And I think that was, you <laughs> know, that's like the wrong message to send kids. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And for those wondering, I will put the link to the book in the show notes pages too. So you can go over and actually pick that up. Anyone listening too, who has a, a kid who's maybe thinking about that in high school or college, or definitely would be something to check out. I know I'm going to check out the book after this recording. Actually, I'm going to buy it because <laughs> anytime, anytime we can actually have these face-to-face conversations, I think it becomes so valuable then to say, okay, what are the words? And behind that, and um, what are the lessons that we can apply to our own businesses? So, speaking on lessons and what we can apply, I want to shift a little bit to growing OmniAlert, growing it to where it is now, and then the decision to bring in a CEO. And walk me through that. Was that years in the making? Was that an aha moment once again? Like, okay, I've taken it to where I want to, and now we're going to have the CEO, and I'm going to go to the next part. Yeah. Was it a year, you know, year or multi year transition? Walk me through the mindset to get to that decision point and then actually following through.
1: It was a decision that could only come at the right time when I was ready for it. And I realized, and I'm definitely a startup guy, like I loved, you know, starting with zero and actually building something from that. I started up some nonprofits. I, you know, rained out as one of the businesses we, we talked about, just a number of different programs that I have started. And that's where my passions are. I love, you know, getting things started. That's where I'm best suited to take an idea and turn it into something real. And yeah, we got to a certain point. We grew over the years and we had explosive growth. Obviously, after Virginia Tech, the industry was born. There was a campus safety industry that never really existed before. Uh, Was born after that, which will lead me to the new project I'm working on called Zero, Zero Now. But yeah, it came to a point, you know, after 15 years, the time was right to hand the reins over to someone who is more skilled and has and their passion is growing something that already exists because you know ceo we spent over a year doing interviews and trying to find the right person it was it was a difficult challenge because we're just not going to hand this off to anybody it had to be the right fit culturally the right attitude and they had to buy into because we are a very mission-driven organization i mean we're saving i always use the metaphor Jordan that, you know, it's like it's like Batman and Robin. So we build a technology for Batman because Batman was just a normal guy, right? But he's got, you know, his watch and belt and all these other um, gadgets that help p- keep people safe. That's what we do. You know, we have an Apple Watch uh, tool that can launch an entire lockdown in a matter of seconds and, and, you know, all of our notification technology. But our team is back in the Batcave. You know, we're keeping an eye out for those people that are keeping their, their people safe. And so the person that we found had to have that mindset and understand the mission. It's not just a job or just something else. So at the last minute, the right candidate appeared, a referral through our network. He was about to retire, take some time off because he just built a company up and sold it. He's on the West Coast, Silicon Valley area. He felt connected with our mission and purpose and man, okay, I'm ready. Put me in. I'm ready to drive this to the next level at a place where I was ready to hand off the baton like, okay, man, let's, let's do it, Dave. So I feel very happy. And you know, we found the right person after an extensive search process.
0: It's very cool. It's also um, the self reflection to know, hey, I'm the person who goes from zero to one. I'm the builder, you know. To have that reflection to say, I and that's also, you know, if that's what you enjoy. Reed Hoffman talks about this. Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, he oh, said yeah. he's like, I love being in companies from zero to fifty people, and then I realize that I'm ineffective as a leader after fifty people. <laughs> to have that self awareness, right? I'm sure Reed Hoffman would be great and it <laughs> further on but to go okay and in your case to hear that again and be like okay I took it to a point and then it starts to just get to a point where you're like okay somebody else can now take this to the next level and they're more on that corporate executive level and then you can go back to building. And I want to talk about that. Now you exactly. are off at building a new project. What do you have? Uh, what do you have coming up?
1: This is going back to the roots, you know, 16, 17 years ago about the, the whole purpose. The whole reason why we started Omni Alert was about education, safety. And that was really the whole spark. My passion has always been there. The communities that I always speak with and and events are always really revolving around that. You know, I realized a friend of mine, Joe Samaha, who lost his daughter in the Virginia Tech shooting, he is a president of a a group called the the Virginia Tech VTV Family Outreach Foundation. It's the families of the massacre, rather than take a settlement from the state, they decided to, let's put that money in a trust and let's advocate for safer campuses. Okay so he represents that part but you know I represent the technology side the education safety technology side of that but what doesn't exist and what never existed since 2007 like I mentioned the, the industry just blew up after that because education safety became a top priority at that point is that there really isn't an industry organization that focuses on driving awareness adoption funding and innovation for education safety technology and programs So together, we're reaching out to a number of different organizations. So we're in the process of forming a new organization called Zero Now, which is a a nonprofit organization. But it's all about driving awareness, adoption, funding, because education safety programs, they tend to get funded after there's a tragedy. And we need to keep this front and center all the time. And what types of technologies can we employ? to prevent harm from happening. Zero I means it's, it's for zero harm. You know, How do we get to zero harm? When you send your kids to school or campus, you wanna be sure that they're safe. And so how can we, through training programs, through policies, through technology, like we're working on technology right now that will detect a firearm the second that is it's drawn. And then within seconds from that point, do a complete lockdown on campus, notify law enforcement, first responders, students, classrooms, everything, we're locking down campus immediately. That type of technology will help keep students safe all the time, and that's our priority. Was constantly be that voice, the voice of the education safety technology industry to advocate for those things, Sa- safer campuses, safer schools.
0: Very cool, and I look forward to look forward to learning more about that and seeing that. And you're so right with building something that's preventative, not reactionary, and or to have something that's ready in the market. And for that, and for us to take a mindset shift of Hey, prevention and readiness is worth something. If 2020 has taught us anything with a global pandemic, being ready <laughs> being ready and prepared it can make all the difference. So, all right, exactly. before I let you go, let people know where they can connect with you online. And if they want to learn more about OmniLert, where should they go?
1: Visit uh, OmniLert.com. There's no A in there. It's O-M-N-I-L-E-R-T.com. Uh, Zero Now, uh, we, we have a landing page right now. It's ZeroNow.org. That's where we're not going to really launch that until the beginning of the new year. So we're in the process of forming that right now. If you want to reach me, they could email me at uh, ara at omni Awesome.
0: I appreciate you coming on today. That was a interesting and insightful conversation. Thanks, man.
1: Hey, thank you, Jordan.
0: All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, you can get all the information we talked about on the show notes page. Until next time, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Take care. Uh-huh.